Hi there, welcome to our Soul Food Broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Or maybe I should just move up, how about that? All right, well, Bill called me earlier this week, said, can you teach? And I sat and thought, and I was like, hmm, I don't know, and never answered him, and Sarah finally called me. It's like, you need to answer. And I was like, I'm trying to decide what I could teach. <laughs> and, uh, like, yeah, I can do that. I thought on Wednesday nights, the youth and I have been going through uh, multiple books and looking at overviews of texts. And I, this week, uh, Let's see if we can do that without killing it. Uh, this week we went through First Peter, and I thought it might be good for us to cover Second Peter today. So that's the goal: is to give you an overview of Second Peter, and touch some highlights, and give you an idea. So go ahead and turn to Second Peter, and there's a couple things I want you to remember as we go through it. One is that he's going to constantly be talking about knowledge, that is, knowing God. And that's one of the overarching themes, knowing God and being uh, consistent or, uh, um, you know, being diligent in our faith. Okay? So those are the two main themes. It's broken up into three chapters in our Bible. And obviously, uh, in this text, it's well broken up because there are three different sections. It's not quite perfectly broken up that way, but for the most part, the first section is going to be the introduction and a commitment to have you keep following God and give you some basic tools to examine your faith and say, am I really in faith? Am I really consistently doing what I'm called to do? The second chapter is going to be about false teachers and problems within the church. And then in the third chapter, he's going to talk about the end times discussion and how in the last days there's going to be mockers, and but you need to continue to trust in God. Okay, So that's pretty much an overview of the book. So let's just delve into it, and we'll see where we can go. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter is writing to anybody that has received faith just like him. And that means... If you are a Christian, you have received the 
idea that I believe in Jesus Christ. And the faith is a certain kind of faith. And he's going to explain what that type of faith is. It's not just a faith that just says, I believe in Jesus. It's a faith that believes, and that belief causes me to act. Okay? And we'll see that in just a second. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. In other words, as we get to know Jesus on our personal level as our friend, we will increase in grace and peace. And he says, that's what I want for you. I want you to be increasing in the grace that you uh, exhume to others and the peace that you have in yourself. And on the same side, you're receiving grace and you impart grace to others. Okay, so both ideas are there. Grace and peace being multiplied to you as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Okay, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and excellence. How do we get? Life and godliness, we get to know Jesus. Real simple, right? You're seeing the theme here, right? Get to know Jesus. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Now, for this very reason, also apply diligence in your faith. Now, what's the reasoning that we're doing this? Because we have we are partaking in the nature of God. When we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we are partaking in his nature. We are made in the image of God, but we are to become and be transformed into his image, right? And so we're partaking of it in that now we're becoming like God. And here are some ways that we're going to do that in a progression. We're going to apply diligence in our faith. We're going to supply moral excellence in our, uh, uh, in, let's see, apply diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence. Knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. What's the ultimate goal of the church? Love. So he's going to end with love, and he says in the beginning, where do we start? With faith. Where does all of the gospel start? Faith. We are saved by faith, right? Real simple. But it results in love. So to break that list down a little bit better, faith needs action. Action needs to be reasonable. We need to have a reason for our action, which is Jesus, right? And our reason and understanding needs to be restrained or self-controlled. That restraint needs to be consistent. And ultimately, that consistency is in holiness. The more consistently we are like God, the more holy you are, right? In in essence. And that holiness has to be compassionate. Because what happens when we, we're just holier than thou? 
we're not compassionate. We're not gracious. We're not loving. And he says you need to be ultimately filled with brotherly kindness. And that is grace and love. And it's all summed up in love. Okay. So, for he... Oh, wait. Brotherly kindness and love. Verse 8. For if... Big word, if. These qualities are yours and increasing. Two prerequisites. They render you neither useless nor unfaithful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, And he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from the former sins. So, how do we become useful as Christians? We have to be increasing in these things. If we're not increasing and growing in our spiritual lives in these qualities of diligence, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, if those aren't increasing in your life, you need to examine yourself and say, am I increasing in these things or am I just stagnant and becoming useless in the the body of Christ? Because that's what he's saying. You become useless by not growing. And that's a big problem in churches and in people in general. We, especially with, with groups that that say, you're once saved, well, you're always saved. Well, I, I've prayed my confession, and I've made my confession, and I'm saved. I don't have to grow. That's a lie. If you're really confessing Christ, you are going to grow up in your spiritual life. And he says, this is how you know that you were saved. Because you're growing and increasing. If you're not, re-examine yourself. You need to question, am I really saved? Is God really doing a work in me? Because if he's not, you are in a really scary place. And if he is, you are confirmed in your faith. And it's exciting. Examine yourself. With these qualities, where are you? He who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten what God has done for him. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ has become useless. That's not what he died for. He didn't die to become useless. He wants to be valuable in your life. Transformative in your life. And ultimately, that's the goal. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. How do we do that? By examining and seeing if these things are increasing. That's how we're certain that we are saved. Okay? Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. You'll never doubt that you're saved. If you're doing it, it's clearly he's working in you. If you're not doing it, then you need to say, hey, he's not working on me. Am I really where I need to be? And then we re-examine and say, well, I saw him work in the past, and I need to recommit and rededicate my life to continuing that growth. It's not 
you know, it is a continual thing. He says, keep, be diligent. Therefore, no wait. Uh, you never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You know, what did Jesus say? I came to give you life abundantly, not stagnantly. <laughs> and that's the problem. We can be complacent in our life. And the knowledge of God is that he is building a kingdom. And that kingdom is to be growing and maturing. And ultimately, it's his spirit supplying us with the ability to become like him, which is holy and righteous. Right? Therefore, again, we see therefore twice. Since we're going to be diligent, I should always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that in the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. What's the whole point of the letter? I'm about to die. This is my last will and testament. This is the essential of what I want you to remember about the faith and about following Jesus. And I know you guys already know it. And if you don't, there's a problem. But you should already know it. And that's okay. I'm going to keep driving it into your heart because it's that important. Okay? Be reminded, be diligent. Uh, so I'm going to stir it up. Now the other question is, Peter's heart here is to stir you up, to get you excited about the faith. That should be our heart for each other, to stir each other on to good works. No, we're not saved by good works. We're confirmed by our actions. And so as we stir each other, keep going, run the race, be committed. And then you can be confirmed in your faith. You know, I, there's so many people doubting. And they're like, you know, I, I'm insecure about where I am spiritually because you've stopped running. Keep going and spurn each other onto that dedication, that commitment. For we didn't follow cleverly devised tales. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made from uh, to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son whom, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance and 
made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. He says, we saw it, we are confirmed in it, and you're going to do well to trust what the confirmation. Because ultimately the goal is for that same confirmation to arise in your own hearts. That's what we want for you. So that you are confirmed in what you believe about Jesus. Because he is doing a work in your life. And it's exciting and I know that it's real. If it's not, you need to re-examine it. He says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. We need to be very careful that we are not entangled in false teaching. These guys appear to be good followers of Christ, right? They were bought by Christ. Christ's death paid for their sin. Yet they have lost right doctrine. They have started following heresy. And in another book, he says, hey, they were with you for a while, and they went away, which means they were never really with you. And that's a disturbing thought. These guys deny even the master who bought them. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth is maligned. And in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their judgments from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, who with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he committed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made uh, them an example to those who would live ungodly lives, uh, ungodly thereafter, if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. That should be you. When we see the world around us, it should be torturing. It should be disturbing, the unrighteousness around us. But yet, Lot was in the middle of it, and God rescued him out of it. God's faithful. 
He is going to make a distinction. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. He will make that distinction properly. And the timing is in his hands. Verse 10, and especially those who indulge in flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a rivaling, reviling judgment against them before God. But these, like unreasoning, unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. What's the key word? Knowledge. They do not know Christ. They are lacking in their understanding. With, uh, will in the destruction of those creatures, that is the angels, also be destroyed? What was hell made for? The angels, the fallen angels. He says they will be destroyed with them in the final judgment. Suffering, wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revile in the daytime. They are strains and blemishes, reviling in their deception, reveling, reveling in their deceptions uh, as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained on greed, accursed children. We need to be very careful that we are stable in the faith. Because these guys are out to entice those who are unstable. How do we become stable? Examining ourselves and not being stagnant. Pressing on to the goal of the higher calling of the Lord. All right? Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray and have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgressions from a dumb donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restraining the madness of the prophet. These are spirit, springs without water, mist driven by a storm for whom the blackest darkness is reserved. That's a scary thought. False teachers are committed to the blackest darkness. Both spiritually, they're already in it. They are so deceived that they, there's nothing that they can see of the light. And yet the judgment is also exactly that. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, uh, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. What has Jesus overcome? He overcame the world. And we are now more than conquerors. We are to be overcomers, not re-enslaved and re-entangled 
in the old sins that God has released us from. You know, I know for me, there have been many times when uh, there's temptation for whatever sin it is. And I've had to say, God has taken that away from me. Why in the world would I ever want to do that again? I don't. And just that mere remembrance pushes me on to continue in what God's released me from. And that's that's the process that he's bringing you through. Don't go backwards. Don't be stagnant. Move ahead. God wants to make you into his image. And you are to be increasing. I lost my place. (laughs) Uh, Four. Yeah, 20. (laughs) For if after they had escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. And the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallow in the mud. Now that section has a lot of theological implications. And if you want to delve into that, come next week on Sunday morning. We will talk about some of those issues. Not today. (laughs) This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. What is this? Simple reminder. Keep going, right? I want to remind you constantly. And this is the second time he's written a letter to remind them and stir them up. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. In other words, keep being reminded of the word. That's the Old Testament, the holy prophets, and the apostles, the New Testament. Be reminded, be in the word, keep reading, keep studying the word of God. You need that. If you're not in it, you're not going to have it out, have it, have it played out in your life. You know, you become stagnant. Keep being reminded. Keep delving into the word of God. Know this, first of all. That in the last days, mockers will come. Now, in the last chapter, he's talking about problems in the church. He says, there's going to be false prophets that are in the congregation that are going to entice you and mess up your faith and try to twist up the scriptures and mess everything up. Now he's going to move to outside of the church. In the last days, there will be mockers that will come with their mockings following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. 
It's just going to continue. What's the point, right? For when they maintain this, it escapes their knowledge. Now, there's three things that are going to escape their knowledge. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water. In other words, they're, uh, they're not remembering that God created it all. What's the first lie? Denial of creation. Second thing, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. What's the second thing? But the flood is the second part. What's the flood have to do? It's a reminder of history, okay? And that God is faithful to judge, but he is also faithful to protect. But in the present heavens, uh, let's see, through the flood with water, but in the present heavens and earth, by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly men. What's the last thing? Judgment. We deny, the mocker will deny the judgment of God. Okay? Three things that the mockers are going to deny. But do not let this one fast fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but rather is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What's the ultimate, what, what's the biggest problem that uh, is in our mind? How long? What, what do we see in Revelation when the, 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 the group is in heaven and they, they say, how long until you destroy all this junk? Why are we still dealing with horrible things? And he says, here's a robe. Just wait a little longer. I'm being patient with them, but there will be a time I'm going to judge. And it's a perfect time to judge. Not earlier and not later. The judgment is perfectly timed out for the purpose of bringing all who will repent to repentance. So as we look at the slowness, we have to say, God still has others to repent. And so we, in our hearts, have to continue to present the gospel to the world because there are many who still need to hear it. And so that urges us on to present the gospel so that they hear it, which will usher in the kingdom of God and will ultimately bring the destruction because once they've all heard, he's got to destroy, right? So, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in godliness, looking for the hastening, uh, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What's the purpose? Why are we still here? 
to bring others into that new heaven and new earth. He called us to go into the world and make disciples. Our desire is that no one perish, but that all come to faith in Christ. We understand that's not going to happen. People are evil. And unfortunately, there is a destruction coming. But our hearts are to be looking forward to what is to come. Not necessarily the destruction, but the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. That's our hope. That's where our faith is. It's not in this world. And when it is in this world, that's when we get stagnant. We get bogged down with the horrible things that are going on around us. How our life is not perfect. It's not great all the time. But there is a blessed hope waiting for us. And even now, we are to live out. When it's increasing, we are entering into the kingdom of God. And it changes everything. And it brings that hope into our lives. But when we're stagnant, we fall into that depression. We fall into that uselessness. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in by him in peace. Where do we get grace and peace? From the knowledge of Jesus. Be diligent to know Jesus. That's the heart of this, this whole book. Commit to knowing Jesus. Be diligent to be found by him in peace peace, spotless, blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, and as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. That was pretty Big mouthful in that sentence. Which <laughs> the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture and they do that to their own destruction. When people mess with the Word of God, there is a judgment for that. We need to be careful that what we read in Scripture is what it says in Scripture, not twisting it up and getting the pure milk of the word. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do? Grow. That's the point. We're not supposed to be stagnant. We don't just accept God and stay where we are. He wants you to grow up. You know, when you have a baby, do you expect to change diapers the rest of your life? No. Sometimes that happens. 
You don't want it to happen. No parent wants to change diapers the rest of their life. I guarantee it. (laughs) God doesn't want to change your diapers the rest of your life. He wants you to grow up. You, therefore, guard yourselves. Grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior. To him be the glory. What's the glory? That you're growing up. When you see that growth happening, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. And so you can glorify God and say, yeah, okay, you're saving me. I'm being, I'm saved because I know you're working in me. It's exciting. And I don't have to worry about my faith anymore because you're doing something. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. We are to press on to know the Lord. What was the point? Keep on following Jesus, growing in it. Keep resisting false teachers and mockers. And finally, trust that God is faithful. Real simple. It's the entirety of the book in three points. Know your relationship with God. And grow in it. Know and realize the truth and don't be deceived by people who are twisting it up. And know your place with God that he has made a home for you in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God that loves us. That wants to see us grow in your grace. That wants to see us loving each other, and building your kingdom. Give us that heart as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen.